podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system, DLS. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Menas. I'm drowning in T20 cricket at the moment, the T20 World Cup, the WBBL. And as I mentioned on the last T20 World Cup wrap, I've, I've got Brittany Carter from the ABC to join me to talk about the, the first sort of two, three weeks of the WBBL. Britt, welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a little while. Has been a while, but uh, for those who are uh, keeping a track of the WBBL, uh, Brit's doing a great podcast with Kristen Beams called the Beamsy and Brit Show, which you can get on on the ABC um, Best of Sport, Best of Grandstand Sports podcast feed. Uh, so I've been listening to you and Beamsy. You've been doing a great job on the WBBL. You know, you know, what's your sort of general impression on how the tournament started? Well, I'm glad that you're listening. Uh, one good follower. It's good to know. Um, <laughs> It's It's been an interesting summer so far. I really feel like there's no guarantees, and I know that we say that so often in T20 cricket because it is such a fickle format, but even the Scorchers, who were going great guns to start the season, have now dropped off a little bit. The Sixers had a, a dip in form. Adelaide Strikers started poor and now have come good, and the Brisbane Heat have lost two games in a row. So I really can't pick who are the front runners this year. I mean, you'd have to think the Sixers and Scorchers are up there, but... It's just really hard to know. And, and like, even looking at the runs, I mean, when this the competition was being played last summer, by this point, so we'll hit the 25th game of the Women's Big Bash eight season tomorrow. Um, like, by now, last summer, we already had two centuries scored and nobody has scored a century yet. So I don't know if that's a reflection on the pitches, on the rain that's impacted matches, or just on the fact that players are a little bit out of form. Some of the big guns in the tournament haven't performed yet. So, yeah, it's an interesting time. And I know that we're midway through the season, but I don't know how the rest of the tournament's going to go, and I guess that's exciting. Well, I mean, yeah, you've really exciting. I've been loving it. There's been a lot of great cricket. And, and you're right about this sort of um, – the there hasn't been a lot of runs and I do think that comes down to the pitch conditions. I think we've seen that quite a few games have been played off the main venues. Even in Sydney, they played at Blackdown instead of North Sydney Oval. They played at Ballarat. Um, I don't think some of the pitches have been that conducive to a lot of runs. 
Yeah, well, certainly there's been a lot of talk about Blacktown, hasn't there? And mm. <laughs> and Beamsy was not uh, that glowing in her reviews of having played at Blacktown before during her Women's Big Bash career. Uh, as well, I just, that... I, but I, I just think it sells the competition short. Like I yes. looked, saw that first game, and it was at best, you know, a Premier Cricket pitch at best. But I've, you know, I've commentated on women's Premier Cricket where the pitches are much better than that. And mm. and if you want to make this the Premier Women's competition in the world, you cannot serve up a pitch like that because pace on the ball is even more important in women's cricket. Yeah, and I think too when we're trying to see more fast bowlers come through like your Darcy Browns. We need to make pitches that will also help them get to where they need to be, right? There's no point talking up Darcy Brown as the fastest bowler in in women's T20 cricket and then she can't get any pace on the ball out of a wicket. So I know that's something that Beamsy has been really passionate about, moving games to perhaps better wickets and better grounds that will lend itself to more runs and I know the Sydney Thunder have done that because they've moved the upcoming matches they had at Blacktown to North Sydney Oval so hopefully that does have an impact and I think part of this comes with the fact that the Women's Big Bash is really trying to have a regional presence and so it takes games out to places like Blacktown and Ballarat and you know perhaps the best wickets may not be there but they're trying to get that regional community feel about the league. So it really is a balance at the moment. I mean, you watch a lot of cricket manners. Where do you think the WBBR would be best placed setting up setting up their, their matches? Would you rather see them playing at the big-time venues? What would you like to see? I think they have to play in the better venues. So um, I think North Sydney Oval and the main city centres provide better cricket, and, and it is – more than anything, a TV product. And you need pitches where the ball comes onto the bat in women's cricket. Otherwise, you can get sort of slow spinners really drying up the runs and it doesn't make for a, a terrific contest. Um, so I think they've got to stick to the main centres. This year they've done more of a like a, a travelling carnival, sort of mm. taking the show around and it's a less home and away format. Which, which I understand is budgetary. You know, they play more games in the one venue, save money. I get all that. But, you know, the Sydney Sixers fans are getting very few home games mm-hmm. for the WBB. In fact, no home games, but they, they've moved those Thunder games to North Sydney Oval. Um, maybe they could play sort of um, pre-season games in regional areas for the WBBL, like their warm-up fixtures that they tend to play. Um, in you know, this New South Wales played their games in Sydney. Maybe they could take them to regional areas and keep the WBBL in the, the better grounds. Yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. And I think, you know, both you, both you and I come from rather metropolitan areas. So people that are listening to this maybe from a regional area are going, no, I love watching it that close to home. And I know there was a push to really try and, especially in Victoria, take games back to the community after two years affected with COVID. So it, I think it is a balance. And I do like what you've suggested in perhaps you know, playing those warm-up matches in those areas so that you're still looping in all of those regional towns and cities. But, or invest, um, in better gra- best, invest in groundskeepers, send a groundsman out to these mm. regional areas a month out because, you know, it's it's hard on the, the local groundskeeper to all of a sudden produce, a, you know, WBBL standard wicket when they're not doing that the rest of the year. So I would actually, if they want to do that, invest in getting the pitches right 
And we actually saw it in the men's big bash a couple of years ago. The pitches dropped off and it really affected the competition. And, you know, those scores of around 90 that we've seen in the last week from the WBBL, you know, it doesn't sort of make you want to turn it on if you're a casual fan. Mm. And I think too, like even I saw there was a game at the Wacker last week, week before, and I didn't really hear people say much about how it played, so it's hard to know if you're not a player out there in the middle. But it certainly looked like a dog's breakfast. There was patches missing. Uh, it looked like an old wicket, but no matches had sort of been played there for at least a fortnight. So I was confused by that. So, I mean, I'm not a groundskeeper. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, but I know that you watch a lot of cricket, so I do. Yeah. Um, I definitely value your opinions on that. Thank you. Um <laughs> now, was it was it a Blacktown? We had the birds attacking attacking friend of this podcast, Phoebe Litchfield. Yes, yes. Very so not much only so. Was, so not only was the pitch, you know, not great. That the local wildlife uh, was swooping <laughs> down on um, Phoebe Litchfield. Did you, did you see that? I did, and like when uh, you know, I felt really horrible watching and laughing because I know that if that was myself, I would probably need a change of pants because <laughs> I am terrified of plovers. We have plenty in my home. <laughs> we have plenty in my hometown, and if you're not dodging them, you're dodging the magpies at this time of year. So yeah, I, I was laughing my head off, but also felt really bad for the players. We also saw. Sammy Joe Johnson and Lauren Smith hit the deck at points and they were huddled together in this tight little bunch trying to stay safe. So it was very funny. And this is the great thing about the Big Bash. I think that the league can play into these things a little more. I know that they made some really great reels and video content from from that moment. But, I mean, I think a great example of how this has paid off in the Big Bash before is do you remember that time there was a seagull that got hit on in a stars game and then the yes. seagull became their mascot and that became a narrative that then people that loved the big bash were very much aware of and i think that we could play into a little bit more of the uh, funny things that happen in women's big bash such as the plovers sweeping phoebe litchfield <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a theme here we can start letting more like wildlife out on the edge of the pitch and just get play reactions, like get like a snake and just let it go. Not like not a deadly snake, like a brown snake, but just can you imagine the players? Did you like there was a game recently in India where a snake sort of slithered across the field and all the players scattered. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I, again, would need another change of pants because that is my worst fear. I am terrified. Snakes and birds. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the pitches have um, been so. So, what about the new rules? Now they've they've mm -hmm. brought in the power surge from the men's big bash last year. So instead of the traditional six over power play, there's four overs, and then the batting side can take the other two overs after the tenth over. And I really enjoy this rule because I do, do think it sort of throws a little spanner in the works for the chasing side. It, You know, if you're watching and you're thinking, well, you know, they could take this power surge and all of a sudden it's got 20 or 30, could completely change a run chase. And I like that um, little bit of excitement. Yeah, I'm with you. I know it's been a bit con controversial in some of the women's cricket forums I'm in. Some people are really against it being added to the women's big bash because they didn't like it in the men's to begin with. But I actually think it's played into some of the team's favours this season so far. And we know one of the great things about the women's game in particular is their tactics because that's something that they've had to rely on from the very beginning when perhaps they weren't clearing the boundary as much or you know, um, 
having such an impact in the way that they take catches and that now. So, yeah, I, I actually think that it's probably helped a lot of teams considering when you look at the top order and how many teams' top orders haven't performed so far in this competition. Like you think about Elisa Healy only really got in the runs the other day and, you know, Grace Harris has been hot and cold. So a lot of the openers haven't been finding runs. Elise Villani, Lizelle Lee, really hot, cold performances. And so having the bash boost or the power surge, is that what it's called? The power yeah, surge. Yeah, the bash boost was axed. The bash oh, boost that's right. Blocked. The power so, so, surge. Yeah, so last year they had the bash boost, the X factor, and the power surge in the big bash, mm. the men's big bash. And the, they were, the only one that really um, st- stuck around was the power surge because the, surge. the X factor was like bringing on an extra play that was silly. No one knew what was going on. And the bash boost extra point meant that, it's sometimes it was better off actually not going for the win, just playing to get a point. So, um, yeah, they've That's just right. kept that now. power surge. Uh, but yeah. it is the only thing I find strange is that, you know, international T20 cricket is a traditional six-over power play. So, you know, in what is the feeder competition, and this is men's and women's, they're playing different rules. And it does change the power play a lot. I mean, you said about the opening batters. It, it, it means they have to go hard earlier because, you know, instead of having one or two overs to get in and then having the full six overs to go at the, the opposition bowlers, you have to probably get in and, and try and get away in that first four overs. Um, but, yeah, I don't mind it but it it is different to international cricket. I think that's a really interesting point, something I hadn't considered before because I was more so bringing it up in the sense that you've got another chance for your middle order, say a Laura Harris who sits in the middle of the order and is a really big hitter, to come in and take advantage of that power surge. But now that you've flipped that conversation, Menas, and you've said perhaps there's more pressure on the openers now to perform really quickly when they do have those, uh, those power plays at the beginning of the match, Perhaps that's why we're not seeing openers get as many runs this year. It Maybe. really made me think about that. Yeah. I, I liked, and we, uh, Paul, my co-host, uh, mentioned it as well, on, um, that perhaps they should have kept the six overs at the beginning, and, and this is across the men's competition as well, and just added the power surges extra. And then you kind of you get you get both. You get the, the six overs at the front and then you get this wild card two overs. And <laughs> maybe that would boost scores by 20, but I don't think spectators would mind. Maybe the bowlers would. Yeah, maybe the bowlers would. But it, as we all know, the cliche is it's a batter's game. So, And if the aim is to get um, more runs and, and bring higher scores up and really excel in that part of the competition. I think that that could be something the WBBL considers, you know, bringing back the original power play at the start of the innings and keeping the power surge at the back end. But I can imagine the bowlers would be listening to this and going, no, what are you talking about? So, yeah. <laughs> That's you know, already think, get enough favours. <laughs> yeah. And, and you did make that an is- interesting point too about how, um, how the rules at the feeder competition for the international team is is different. But, do you know, we've also got the 100 in England, which is now setting up the England women's T20 team. So that's not a format they're familiar with either. So it really is interesting where domestic cricket feels like it needs to go at the moment to garner interest and to really boost its competitions as opposed to setting up its players the best way it possible for its national teams. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the hundreds actually coming to New South Wales women's cricket. Um, at the, towards the end of this season, they're playing a, 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 a sort of um, a 
what would you call it? It's like a mini competition. They're getting four teams from all across. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, all across Women's New South Wales Premier Cricket, and it's going to be a four-team competition played over a week in the 100 format. And the idea is to sort of bridge the gap between Premier Cricket and WBBL, trying to have a little competition in between. So we will actually see some 100-ball cricket, which will be quite exciting. Oh, I'm, I didn't know that. And, again, I find that, um, after all of the craziness surrounding the 100 when it was first introduced and how much pushback there was that people are now adopting this format because I remember there being so much outrage about how they had v- invented basically a whole new format, how we already had three, how T20 cricket was already, you know, against what the traditionalists want. And now we've got the 100 making its its debut here in New South Wales as well. I'll have to keep an eye on that and see how that goes. Mm, yeah, um, I, I, I'm a big 100 fan and I think people get too caught up in the difference. Like there's only, you know, it's 20 ball difference. We see yeah. so many T20 games where there's a bit of rain and they shorten the game. So it is effectively just a, a touch shorter than a normal T20 game. And Britt, it worked. All anybody, you're a journalist, all anybody has talked about for the last four years is this hundred <laughs> or five years now. So yep. if you're a marketing person, you have won. You, we, mm. Everybody out there whinging about it has fallen for their trap. This is exactly what they wanted. They've polarised opinion, driven discussion, and, and it, it's been at the front of mind of every cricket fan because of curiosity, some people disdain. Um, but, yeah, you fell for it too. There you go. Well, there you go. I mean, any <laughs> press is good press, it seems. Exactly. I think, though, I think when I, you know, think about the women's game and the role in the 100 in that sense, it has been really nice to see clubs aligned because we hadn't seen that with uh, English women's cricket before. You know, even the KSL, when that was played, they had all different teams to the men's teams in their T20 Vitality Blast or whatever it's called. So I think that unison has been really good for the women and the crowds seem to be turning up over there. So you're right, I might have fallen for it, a heap of other people too, but it seems to be a success at the moment, so that's good to know. Yeah, the 100 has most certainly been a success for women's cricket in England, no doubt, and actually is going to really benefit overall um, the international cricket scene because you you are seeing Australia start to streak ahead. Um, not so much when you put the best 11 against each other, but I think if you look at Australia's depth, if you went for Australia's second 11, be England's second 11, I think that's where you'd see a much bigger gap. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think that's why we see players like a Darcy Brown come into the lineup and Alana King come in within the last 12 months and absolutely kill it. And that's just the pathways that we have in Australia at the moment. So I think that your point in there is probably correct. I mean, those players would have been playing in an Australia A side or in the under 19s Australia side a couple of years ago, a year ago. So the yep. fact that that's prepared them now and the pathways have prepared them to take that step into international cricket and excel, not be, you know, one of the younger players but be one of the key players in the group. I agree with you. I think that's where the difference lies at the moment between certainly England and Australia. All right, now I've got a couple more points, then we'll just wrap up the ladder and the leading run scorers. Um, There there was some concern that because the WBBL was being played at the same time as this T20 World Cup, that it was going to get a bit lost. I I find it really hard because I'm I'm in a real cricket bubble and nothing ever escapes me. You know, I'm watching, (laughs) you know, T20. Yeah, I was watching like the T20 (laughs) South African League where Brevis scored like 
170 like anyway so but what do you think you know broadly speaking is the bbl kind of just wbbl just flying under the radar i think it is a little bit this year and i don't know whether it's because of the t20 world cup because from our experience at the abc it's really been hit and miss when it comes to interest in that league and to be honest when they last played in dubai when australia won that men's t20 world cup even as someone that works on our social media and monitors a lot of what happens digitally, I don't think people really had an interest until Australia got into the final and then we won. So it's it's interesting now that it's even though it's on Australian soil, there hasn't been a lot of interest for the Aussie men's side. Um, I feel like most of the interest has come off the back of those upset wins, right, for Ireland, for, um, you know, Namibia. some of the... Yeah, that's right. Some of the upsets we've seen, Scotland, you know, I think that's where a lot of the interest has sort of come from, which I don't think many tournament um, organisers probably could have predicted heading into the the competition because, as we know, there's the Super 12 and this tournament they had to qualify almost twice to get into playing the big guns and now some of them are beating them. So I think that's been the best part about that tournament so far. And perhaps that is what's overshadowing the Women's Big Bash a little bit. I know that they purposely tried not to schedule women's games alongside the Australian men's games, but it does feel like there's a little bit of less buzz around the women's competition this year. And I haven't really been able to put my finger on why, whether it's because we're in the early stages of the tournament, uh, you know, whether it's because of that T20 World Cup or or what it might be. But at the moment, it does feel like there's a little bit less coverage around. And, yeah, perhaps yeah. that's what it is. Mm. I did see the TV ratings early on were pretty strong. I haven't seen them in the last couple of weeks. But they, they do always seem to draw a pretty good viewership on TV, so that's positive. I mean, quite practically, you know, when these big tournaments are going on in Australia, the T20 World Cup, and then you add in the Sheffield Shields going on, the Marsh One Day Cup, you add all this in, it's not actually that um, people don't want to cover the the WBBL, but journalists and writers and media are just pulled in other directions. And and, uh, the media has actually shrunk, you know, a lot in the last five years. So, you know, when you start to see that, then there's no one to like go in and cover the WBBL. If, Mm. If all the other cricket journalists are off doing the World Cup, well, that's it. You know, no one's going to write about it. Yeah, that's true. And I think I was more so talking about buzz from, like you say, a written perspective or even just on Twitter. I feel like there's been less engagement from fans on there this year. But I, I think you've you've brought a really good point up there, Manners, in that there are less journalists around after what's happened with COVID and perhaps the resources aren't there to be allocated to the WBBL. I mean, as someone that's been pulled in two different directions at the moment between everything that's happening in Nepal, and that's been a story that's really overtaken the news cycle the last couple of weeks as well. So Nepal in a space where perhaps it may not be dominating the the media in previous years is now maybe taking up some of the columns where the women's big bash would be allocated for women's sport because you know, most papers have quotas now and mm. maybe that's what's happening too. Mm. We, we, we did touch on the women's netball issue. We had Craig Foster on this show a couple of weeks ago to talk about the situation with Afghanistan and he brought that up. Um, so, yeah, fo- keep follow Brittany on Twitter. She's been all over that one. Um, 
Last point, um, Lisa Stalaker did an interview on the ABC and she she spoke about the WBBL guarding against the future or being wary of its future, making sure it doesn't allow what happened to the men's Big Bash to happen to the women's Big Bash, which was the men's Big Bash was a front runner, but then they've been overtaken and now they're probably not in the top three or four T20 leagues in the world. And I thought Lisa's comments were really astute. I actually hadn't thought about that, like the WBBL has to be careful. But, I, you know, if Lisa's saying that, I think we should all take note because it can change really quickly. The women's IPL starts, the Caribbean IPL, women's IP, uh, Premier, the Caribbean Women's Premier League starts. All of a sudden, less players are going to start coming here and our league could look a lot different than it does now. What did you make of Lisa's comments? Well, Lisa and I are definitely aligned because I wrote an article back when the fixture was released, I think July, August, and that was one of the key talking points that I spoke with Alistair Dobson, who is head of the Big Bash Leagues at that time. And I remember when I put it out into the cricket forums, I usually stick my work. People were like, you're mad. The Women's Big Bash is the best. No, Nothing is ever going to compete with this, you know this is not the right conversation to have. And so when I heard Lisa say that, I was like, okay, I'm glad that someone else is on this track and I'm not completely crazy because I do worry about what is going to happen in India once that really starts to take off. So the rumoured start is March next year, five teams roughly, and they're going to need imports to prop that league up. And imagine the money that could be invested in an Indian in a women's Indian Premier League competition. If you think about the men's, like there is just no other competition in the world that can compete with the amount of money they throw at players to get head over there. We've even seen we've even seen men's players like a Pat Cummins or a Steve Smith or a David Warner take a break from playing for the men's team at points. When I say men's team, I mean Australian men's team to then go and play IPL. So they're too tired to play for the national side, but they're happy to go and collect the big bucks in the men's IPL. So not that I'm suggesting that might happen in the women's, but who knows 10 years down the line whether the women's big bash will have the same pull it does now because, yes, right now it is the premier women's competition in the world. I don't think the 100 is at the same level. It definitely has a lot of interest, but I don't think it has the same pull that the Australian women's Um, competition does then again there's less English players here this year and many of them would have played in the 100 there's less Indian players here this year so is this the start of a trend where players now have their own competitions in their own countries that they can dedicate their time to stay in the same country as their family and friends not spend so much time away on the road still get paid a decent amount and be a professional cricketer and not have all that travel and time away from their country. So it is going to be hard for the Women's Big Bash. And I think when I raised this with Kristen Beams, and I think Lisa had some really good points on this too, the way that it needs to keep growing um, to to make sure that it stays as the best T20 Women's League in the world is probably around the remuneration of players and probably making sure that it's really clever about the coverage, make it the very best coverage in the world. At the moment, we have every game streamed or on TV, which I am not sure the 100 is. I would have to clarify on that. But, you know, I think things like that, even just things like, um, you know, considering how long the competition goes for, pretty sure it's 59 matches at the moment and it has been for a couple of seasons. Can they sustain that in years to come? 
Kristen had some really good thoughts about whether that needs to be shortened perhaps so that it's not as uh, big a commitment for imports to come over and play in. But we don't want to lose the allure of the Women's Big Bash because it is currently driving our our um, players that are coming through the pathways. You know, a Darcy Brown is great because she's had experience playing against some of the best players in the world. So is Atalia McGrath, who's got herself back into form and into the Australian team because she's been playing against some of the best players in the world at a women's big bash level. So it is really important that the competition keeps pushing and is not, um, what's the word, content left with behind, where it sits. Yeah, and not yeah, left, left behind. behind. Um, yeah. You love Darcy Brown. Um, so yes. <laughs> I, I, I mean, firstly, you know, I think even, you know, this could be a real problem in a year or two. You know, the calendar could quickly become, you know, women's IPL in March, April. Then you go into the 100, then into the women's CPL. Then you've got the WBBL. So, you know, if you've got four back-to-back women's T20 competitions, you and know, it break. will... And fair break, it will force players to decide where they play. And as you say, you know, less English players may come out here, less Indian players may come out here. And I think the lesson we've learnt from the men's big bash is that they should actually shorten the competition before it's too late. Go to a 10 or 12 game model mm-hmm. and that, that allows players to come here and the time they're here to be less. And that's the big thing. The time away from home can be less. So, uh, and I know it's hard because the other side of the coin is Australian women's domestic cricketers don't get much action. The Women's National Cricket League has just expanded. So they, they will say, well, we don't want to cut women's big bash games because, you know, we love that time of the year. We want to play would play 28 games instead of 14. But that may not be um, the the way forward. And actually we saw in the the C, the Caribbean Premier League, they played as a curtain raiser to the competition. They played a little T10 league. And I actually think that's what they could do with the women's big bass. Go down to 10 or 12, te- 10 or 12 games per team and leading into it, have a weekend where you play a mini T10 T10 comp, which would get the general public seeing all the teams, would be a bit of a warm-up, give them some cricket and might solve a few problems. So that's my – that's the manners uh, fix. Yeah, and there's also, you know, some thought to be had about that window. Are they still happy with that October to November window? Because at the moment that seems like an unchallenged space. But as a result, it means the Women's National Cricket League is split up every year. So you play with your breakers side and then you have a break and then you come back to your breakers side. And I always find that quite disjointed. And I think it makes it hard for people to get interested in the Women's National Cricket League because it's so ad hoc and it's here and it's there. And it's not really a consistent competition that you can really follow from start to end without all these interruptions. So that's going to be something they have to consider too, whether they want to hang on to that October, November window each summer and whether that's the best thing for the Women's Big Bash. I like the window where it is now. I mean, unique now to have the T20 World Cup, but but I know last year, you know, it did draw really good TV ratings because people were yearning for live sport. It was, you know, cricket season and the internationals hadn't started. So I like it. I, I do like that. And I think it does free up other parts of the summer for the women's Australian side to play. 
Alrighty, we're running out of time. Let's just quickly go through the ladder as it stands. Um, Sydney Sixers are on top. Then we've got Perth Scorchers second, Adelaide Adelaide Strikers third, Brisbane Heat fourth, then the Hurricanes fifth, the Melbourne Stars sixth, Sydney Thunder seven, and the Melbourne Renegades eight. Now I thought the Renegades might win the title, but losing oh, Harmon losing Harmon with I think was a huge loss because I'd penciled her in for like three or four player of the match performances. Yeah, I, I think that she's a loss to the whole competition and you're right. But I think this is showing that teams can't be too reliant on one player because if you're losing Harman Precourt like that and your chances completely ob- obliterated after that, then that's a bit of a worry. Why aren't they building a roster that is strong beyond Harman Precourt? If that's their one ticket to win a competition, then I think that is a little bit of a worry. And I think perhaps, you know, there's talk about the Sydney Sixers being like the Sydney Roosters of the NRL and how are they keeping everyone under the cap and attracting all these big names. But I really feel like teams that are excelling at the moment, like the Scorchers and Sydney Sixers, are teams that are really well-rounded and you know, for example, we spoke about how Core was a big loss for the Renegades. I mean, you would have count Elise, you would have counted on Elisa Healy making a lot more runs than she has perhaps at this point for the Sixers. And the fact she hasn't, and they're still at the top of the table, really speaks about the all rounds, you know, form of that team and, mm-hmm. and caliber of that team. I mean, what a comeback from the Sydney Sixers. Six matches, five wins, a couple of shocking seasons. I think three years without finals cricket for the Sydney Sixers, which was unheard of when the competition started. So, you know, they've excelled. Um, you know, so the Sixers, Scorchers, Strikers in the heat, I actually think are the best four teams in the comp. And really I can only see like the Hurricanes maybe challenging yeah. for that top four. But what do you think? No, I agree with you. I can't see Stars or Renegades challenging at this point. I think the Stars have really uh, lost some big names. I mean, Elise Villani is a huge loss for them. So is Meg Lanning, of course, and they couldn't have predicted that. But again, they just have a lot of young players inside that team that don't seem to be able to really pull a win together. I mean, that that game that they played against the Perth Scorchers that went right down to the final over was really painful to watch because mm-hmm. they were so close to getting a win and they threw it away with the last three overs to go. Just their bowling was far too expensive. So... Actually, that game was um, notable because um, there yes. was a ball, I think, um, was it Annabelle Sutherland was bowling. She bowled a free hit and the, the ball hit the stumps and yes. flew off the stumps and they went for four, I think, down to the four boundary. Buys. Yeah, and um, then it happened in the India versus Pakistan T20 World Cup game, a similar situation. And because I'd seen that WBBL game, I knew the rule, but it did confuse a lot of people. Um, Yeah, but you're right. Look, I I think the stars probably won't be there. And um, yeah, I like the sixes. You know, Susie Bates is a big inclusion. Um, She's done well. I mean, Sophie Eccleston just her economy rate is 4.91 so far she's without doubt the best t20 t20 bowler in the world if if not Susie Bates I think that Sophie Eccleston may be the signing of the season agree Mm. all right Britt well uh thanks very much for coming on Cricket Unfiltered it's it's great to have you on um you know really good to talk talk about the the women's big bash and uh, hopefully we can catch up again soon Anytime, would love to. And, um, yeah, great to hear that your podcast is doing great guns too. So thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Go and find the Beamsy and Brit show to keep up with the WBBL. And uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.